Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We're glad you joined us today. We're located in Collinsville, Virginia. At Smith Memorial, our motto is simple, follow Jesus. We'd like to encourage you to check us out online, www.smithmemorialumc.com. There you can find out more information about us, opportunities to serve, and ways to support this ministry through giving. We pray that God would add blessing this day to the hearing and the doing of God's Word. God, your word is more precious than fine gold and sweeter than purest honey. As we turn to your scripture, send your Holy Spirit to infuse your word with truth and grace so that the good news of your love would shine before our eyes and delight our senses so that we cannot help but respond with wonder, faith, and trust. Amen. Our reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, beginning in the 30th, in the 9th chapter, the 30th verse. Please stand in honor of our Gospel lesson. They went from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into the human hands, and they will kill him. But three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on their way they had argued with one another, Who was the greatest? He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and putting it among them and taking it in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Friends, these are the words of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. 
place the cross before me. Let none see me but you and your grace alone. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This week I was doing whatever any child that's a millennial does in their spare time. I was scrolling senselessly and mindlessly through the world of social media. And I came across a post from a friend of mine while I was at Duke Divinity School who has since gone on to work towards his Ph.D. at the Chicago School of Theology studying in the field of philosophy. As I scrolled past his post, I began to laugh. Not because the content was funny, but because it was so true. It was so true as it relates not only to the field of academic study, but also the very life of the church. His post read this way. I love, he writes, the casual use of the phrase, everyone knows. I'm reading a book that includes the sentence, everyone knows that Kierkegaard opposed the Hegelianism of his day. He goes on to write, of course, who among us doesn't remember being in third grade and being asked, what did Kierkegaard oppose and getting a gold star for replying, easy, the Hegelianism of his day, duh. (laughs) Now, if you're like me, you casually laugh. First, because the level of intelligence in reading a book like that that would include such a sentence, makes you laugh uncomfortably because you haven't really a clue what he was talking about when I read that phrase. And second, it makes you laugh because you realize the primary reason that you laugh to begin with, i.e., that you didn't have a clue what I was talking about when I read that to you, is the precise reason why he wrote it. You see, I remember when I was at Duke, I didn't ask very many questions. And the reason for that wasn't that I didn't have questions to ask, but it's because I assumed that everyone else was already more educated, more broadly read. And should I raise my hand, everyone was already there, ready to look down on me as the kid that didn't comprehend it the first time. You see, this past week at Ferrum, I asked over and over to my students, as I always do before I proceed to the next slide, are there any questions or comments on the content that we've covered before I move forward? And of course, it was only crickets. And then after class, like always happens, students come to me and they ask, I have a question for you, but I thought the class would think it was too stupid, so I wanted to wait and to ask till now. Questions. Lack of understanding, not quite catching it the first time through, is looked down upon, or at least we think, in our world today. More regrettably than this, more regrettably than this line of thought filtering into our schools, is the fact that it's filtered into our churches. And I'm not ignorant of that news either. What some take as everyone knows in the church world? Many of us still sit silently in our pews struggling to figure out what it was that we just said. And as I reference this, 
I'm not just talking about knowing the right answers and how to fill in the right blanks or match the right word to the correct phrase or to be the person that everyone wants on their team at trivia night when the category is Bible. I'm also suggesting that many of us don't just struggle with knowing the right answers in our lives, but some of us come week after week after week And we struggle to understand if the answers that we have learned are indeed true for our own lives. And regrettably, instead of the church being a place where discovery of faith is fostered, where nurturing people in the midst of their doubt is welcomed, and where honesty in the midst of uncertainty is expected, The church has become a facade of people not wanting to look like their houses that called their lives are not neat and tidy at any given point. And as a result of that, many of us who walk into these walls are indeed less of our true selves than when we came in here. But don't fret. You're not the first person to struggle with that. You're not the first person to struggle and to come to grips with what that means. You are in good company none, uh, with none other than the disciples themselves. You see, Jesus in our lesson today has foretold of his impending death for a second time in the Gospel of Mark. And as we are told, they didn't have a clue what he was talking about. And yet, they were not about to ask him for clarification. Why? Why? Because they were too afraid to ask. Later, as they were walking on the road, along with his, uh, some of his disciples got into an argument or a conversation with one another. Something that typically happens when a religious leader is not in the room. And as an aside, I know that y'all's conversations are much more colorful when I'm not around. But nevertheless... His disciples had a conversation about who would be the greatest among them. And when they arrived at their destination, Jesus asked them, what was it that you were talking about along the road? And they gave the typical church answer that you might expect. Silence. Yet despite their silence, Jesus still spoke a word concerning the longings of their hearts. He taught them what true greatness looked like. It looks like a succumbing to the lowest ranks. It looks like letting another rise above yourself, decreasing so that others might increase. But that is a conversation for another day. Today I want to focus on what Jesus says next. Because I think it applies directly to the way we are called to approach Jesus and the implications of our faith. Jesus says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. You see, certainly Jesus is referencing the previous argument of greatness by shifting to the analogy of the child in their midst. But more importantly than that, Jesus is teaching the disciples about themselves. You see, Mark portrays the disciples in his gospel as those who never seem to get it. 
You see, they walked with Jesus for three years, and they, would, they still wouldn't be the ones that you would want on your Bible trivia night team. You see, if there was a right answer to be had, this ragtag group of Jesus followers, called by none other than Jesus himself, would certainly always get the answer wrong. And if not wrong, they would certainly botch it in their implications. And yet, Jesus teaches them something very simple to those that he loves, and he does it in a godlike care. He picks up a child, sets it on his lap, and I imagine him with a smile on his face saying something like this to their childlike mannerisms called faith. He holds the child and he smiles and says, they can't help it, and neither can you. You see, the greatest part about being a dad is, something, is not seeing my son or my daughter get things right. That'll always happen with time. The greatest part about being a parent is watching my children fail over and over and over again. And sometimes, if I'm honest with you, their failures are the most hysterically funny things I've ever seen. But the best part about being a dad is not watching them get things right. It's watching them fail and get back up and give it another go. It's a reminder of the way that we see the world and the way that our children see the world are oftentimes two totally different things. Recently, Samantha and I were being adults and we were having a meeting with... (laughs) That's right. Recently, Samantha and I, we were having a meeting with Veronica Favero doing some financial planning. And it really was adult-like. I felt uncomfortable. And while we were in there doing such adult-like things with our adult serious faces on, trying to figure out how we're going to make it in this world called life, simultaneously at that same time, there was another reality happening right behind us. As Alexander and Briggs, who had just received chemo that very day, were chasing each other around the business and playing hide and seek. You see, Jesus reminds us in his episode of the child that he himself is to be found in the little ones in our midst. But the challenge is to this it's not just the little ones in our midst. To Jesus, you are a little one. You are a child. And it's okay to be a child and stop acting like an adult all the time. See, so why is it then, if Jesus tells us so plainly and so clearly how he is to be found, that we insist on making church such an ardent and unenjoyable place to be? A place where everyone else has all their pieces put together, and yet our lives that are falling apart around us, we have to hide them so that we don't get found out. Why is it that the church has become a place where everyone else seems to have such strong and ardent faith, and yet we, have struck, we who have suffered tragedy find it hard to believe, and therefore we need to remain quiet about our pains and our doubts? Why do we insist on acting like adults all the time? Jesus teaches us that to be like a child 
is to come to him like a child. It means to bring all of our immature statements, like who will be the greatest. And it's also to tell us that while these statements might not be perfect, for Jesus, it'll at least be sufficient. You see, faith is not an intellectual assent of just making all the right choices at the right time and in the right ways. Faith is a lot less about getting the right answers and more about resting peacefully through putting your trust in the right person. I was recently honored at a Ferrum event, and at this event, Alexander, Samantha, myself, and a cheerleader were walked onto the football field. And as I, I was standing, I was standing to where I was holding Alexander's one hand and the cheerleader was holding the other. When we left, Alexander never said to me the words that I wish he would have said. Congratulations, Dad. You really deserved it. You've worked hard to achieve it. No, as he held my hand, he looked up at me with the biggest grin. He took a big whiff of his other hand that the cheerleader had just finished holding and said, Daddy, my hand really smells good. <laughs> Was it the response I was hoping for? No. Did it fill my heart overwhelmingly with joy? Absolutely yes. And at that moment, I kind of understood what Jesus meant. He couldn't help it. And neither can you. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. God, so often in this life, we, we misplace joy and delight for ardent intellectual torture of having to feel like everything we do has to be right at the right time, at the right place, and in the right way. Or, or otherwise, you won't love us, you won't care for us. And yet, God, help us to let that go. It's not to say that we don't need to learn more about you. It doesn't mean that answers and truth aren't important. But it's to put the right emphasis, as they say, on the correct syllable. So that we keep the first things first, which is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. An ability to delight in you as you delight in us, poor, feeble, old us. May we look to our children and not just see what we hope to be. Let us look to our children and see who we really are. People just struggling to find a way to get through this life. And to do it in such a way that brings honor and glory to you. Help us to take ourselves a little less serious. 
might we clothe ourselves in the way that you see us. And when we don't get the right answers, let us not stop looking for them, but at least in the very midst, at least let us acknowledge them and laugh and rejoice that we still have something left to learn. Lord, you are good. And your steadfast love endures forever.